You're listening to The Bible for Normal People, the only God-ordained podcast on the internet. Serious talk about the sacred book. I'm Pete Enns. And I'm Jared Bias. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of The Bible for Normal People. And our topic today is resisting empire in the book of Romans. And our guests, or we have two guests today, Jared. I, I was thinking that. I don't know if we've actually had two guests on at one time. But they're like married, so we had to do this. Yeah. Right, so. Anyway, I think yeah. they actually are married, though. I don't think they just like married. They, they are married. <laughs> so, just they better be anyway. <laughs> but they live in the same house. Uh, yeah, no, anyway. Sylvia Kiesmott, who is a biblical scholar, and her husband, Brian Walsh, who is a theologian, and... They just wrote a book on Romans, which we'll get into a little bit, and they'll talk about it too. And it was we had a we had a good time talking about reading Romans from a very different angle. That's really what it came down to. Yeah, and I appreciate being able to read cre. I mean, I, I would say read creatively. But one thing I kept coming back to is, you know, there is something important about putting into how we think of the Bible today in the social context of when Romans was written. And so, I couldn't get over that fact. We talk a lot about the social context, and I think sometimes we lose sight of that because we are tend to be very individualistic. And so, even like reading Romans now, even thinking through this conversation, it's like hard to get away from an individualistic mm-hmm. perspective that I just grew up with. So, it's sort of ingrained in me. And so, what may feel to me like they're reading into a lot of things or that seems a little foreign may just be my own bias toward be having read Romans so individualistically my whole life. And wrongly, really, is yeah. what they're saying. And yeah, because it's, you know, how do you apply Romans to your life? Well, here's a verse. And we don't, th- we just assume, we don't all do this, but it's a common assumption that we just assume the cultures are like the same or fundamentally right. the same. We mm-hmm. have the same questions. And that's not true. You know, there there are social contexts in the ancient world that, are very, very foreign to ours, but in, on, on another level, there are similarities. And, you know, we have political systems. They had political systems. You know, they had struggles with class. We have struggles with class and economics and issues of justice. But, you know, getting into that, it sort of really unlocks Romans in a sense. It helps you understand things from a different point of view. And, you know, they talk about things like what salvation means, for example. That's that's a really interesting thing to think about in the ancient world, and it might not be what we sometimes assume it means. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one thing that we don't get into a lot, but I think is actually really important, is just how practical. So, while they, they teach, they also um, live on a farm and do a lot of permaculture. And, and so, uh, there's just something to that that I really appreciate. There's a practical element to how they live out their faith in ways that maybe a lot of us would just wouldn't consider. Yeah, they're trying to live in that alternate kingdom mode that, right. that Romans is really trying – what Paul is trying to do in Romans is portray an alternate kingdom to the dominant one, which is very opposite and very countercultural. You know, So, when we look at people who live in a farm and they, they adjunct teach and, and they preach and they write books and, you know, they're off the grid – uh, that's a that's a statement of faith, really, in a way. You know, in a that, very practical, yeah. like life behavior altering, lifestyle altering way. Right. Yeah. Which makes me really ashamed because I, <laughs> I have a smartphone. Well, yeah. you know, that's what they really wanted is to have you be ashamed. <laughs> that's that's all, great. It's always about me. Yeah, isn't it, that's right. You and your shame. That's what I think. Yeah, <laughs> it's all about me. So. Anyway. All right. Well, let's get to this conversation and have it be less about you. Okay. All right. <laughs> you know, Jesus' death on the cross isn't because God was so angry that 
somebody had to die to kind of satisfy God's wrath. So why did Jesus die in Romans? Because God loved us so much that he was willing to offer himself up for us. That's how reconciliation happens in Jesus. Well, it's that time, folks. It's time for us to talk about microdosing. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. Microdosing can help you get into a relaxed, focused zone easier and stay there longer. It has benefits for workout recovery, sleep, anxiety relief, boosting creativity, and even pain relief. You know, Jared, I have a really good friend of mine who saw that I was taking microdose gummies and she said, can I try some? And so I gave her some of the sativa strand and she said it has made such a difference for her at work. And just in general, just feeling more alert and more focused. And it's quite amazing. So get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code normal people. That's one word. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code normal people for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code normal people. Introducing Bluehost Cloud. Ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Sylvia, Brian, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Where are where is here? You're you're from um some other country. <laughs> here here is your northern security threat. Uh, I know. <laughs> here's, you know, seriously, I'm I'm gonna build a wall because I've had it. Yeah. I'm just gonna like start a Kickstarter. You people are just too much sometimes. Anyway. We're in we're uh we're in the middle of Ontario in Canada in a small hamlet called Cameron, Ontario. Oh wow. Excellent. And as good Americans, we have no idea what you're talking about. That's right. Um, it sounds peaceful, though. So, and we're, we live on a farm, and uh, chores have been done. Animals are mostly taken care of, and we're ready to have a conversation. Well, that's, that's, a, great, that's a great segue here to say, you know, we're here to talk about the Bible. We're going to actually talk about the Book of Romans in particular, but you also have a farm, and you have a lot of things going on. So just maybe give us a little background on how you became trained in, interested in the Bible, and maybe what what you do now, and how does all that how does that relate? Sure. Well, why don't I start? Uh, I became interested in the Bible as a sixteen year old uh, who converted to following Jesus, and that gave me an insatiable uh, interest and desire to to learn more and more about the Bible. And the more I think about it, it was that I knew where. The dominant story of my culture uh, was going, and the best it could offer me was kind of suburban uh, boredom. And and deciding to follow Jesus just opened up a whole new story and a whole new narrative. So I've just wanted to go deeper and deeper into that, so that I would know my identity and and know 
what calls me in my life. And I, I had a completely different story from Brian. Uh, grew up deeply embedded in the Christian Reformed Church and heard very deep biblical preaching every week. And when it was really boring, I picked up the Bible and read it and uh, got excited from just reading it all the time and wanted very early on to help people understand it. And so uh, I'm a biblical scholar who freelances now and works as a biblical scholar in residence at our local Anglican church, teaching lay people how to read the Bible um, and what the Bible is actually about. And I teach part-time at the University of Toronto as well and basically try to sort of help people imagine what it's like to live into this story and try to imagine what it was like for people in the first century to live into this story and what we might learn from that. Yeah, and and speaking of which, I think that brings us right into the main topic today, which is looking at the Book of Romans and mm-hmm. and your understanding of that, which is is not down the center. It's 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 you know I mean you you echo things that people say, but you have a really interesting take on Romans as anti-imperial. Which is not, I mean, you know, I mean, Jared and I, we both grew up with some of this stuff, but, you know, a typical way of reading Romans is it's a book of how you get saved. Yeah. And that's really all it is. It's sort of like systematic theology boiled down in sort of a letter form. Well, you get the Romans road and the rest is just kind of ancillary extra stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it and, means you don't really know what to do with most of the letter if you think of it that way. But you know, others, you know, you know, scholarly trends like the new perspective on Paul, which really takes into account the Jewish background and stuff. But there, you know, at least in my experience, you guys know better than than we do. But a lot of it is, you know, it's a good thing to talk about Jewish Gentile relations and how building the community of God in this volatile place. Rome is sort of like the point of the book. But you guys go a little bit deeper, and you you talk about its anti-imperial focus if you just know where to look for it. Yeah, and the Romans Road uh, way of reading uh, Romans actually was right about something. Romans is about salvation. The the question is, what is salvation, <laughs> and mm. and salvation from what you know, and you know, what 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 are the forces that we need to be saved from. And uh, one of the things that the new perspective has taught us is is that that individualistic kind of reading of Romans together with the rest of the Bible, where it's all about uh, my guilty conscience and how uh, I will get my life right with with God so that I can uh, be saved and go to heaven, uh, totally misses, uh, I think, not only the theology of Romans, uh, but misses uh, the historical context in which Romans was written. Maybe can we can we uh, can you go a little bit further into that? Uh, what what is that context and help us understand why it's legitimate uh, to read Romans as resisting empire? And you give us a little bit of that background and context, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. I mean, Paul. Paul was. Uh, first of all, deeply steeped in the story of Israel, right? His scriptures. But also, he was a Jew who had grown up in Tarsus. He knew he knew all the other cultural stories that surrounded him. And we see some of those stories in the cities that he traveled to. For instance, when he was in Ephesus, there was this riot 
because uh, the worshipers of Artemis thought that the gospel was a challenge to the, well, actually to their business practices <laughs> around <laughs> around Artemis. But but it's clear that, that the gospel was coming into conflict with the narratives of the gods, right? Of other gods and goddesses at the time. But also, um, those other narratives were deeply tied in with the stories of Rome and Roman power and Roman rule. And so, the language that Paul uses in Romans, um, a lot of his vocabulary is vocabulary that would have been used by the empire. For instance, uh, the word gospel which in Greek is euangelion, uh, good news, literally it means. Um, the where word, we get evangelical from, right? The where same, we, the exactly, yeah. where we get the yeah. word evangelical from. And that was a word used by the empire to describe the good news of Caesar's victories. So, Caesar's good news was always bad news for the people that he had defeated, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. This, Paul is talking about a different good news, and that's why at the beginning of Romans, he talks about the good news of God, the good news of His Son, the good news, um, good news is qualified by Him uh, a number of times before He uses it without qualification, um, and that's because he's making clear it's, that it's a different gospel. Uh, the word salvation was used to talk about how Caesar brought salvation for all the peoples of the world. Um, the phrase, Son of God, Paul uses that obviously to refer to Jesus, but the Caesars were considered to be the Son of a God because every time, uh, say, Julius, when Julius Caesar died, he became one of the gods. And so, Augustus became the Son of a God. And mm-hmm. so, there's all these terms that were used by Paul that had ramifications and that echoed in people's imaginations. And so, they would have heard uh, echoes of that other story when Paul used that kind of language. Okay. Well, okay, so let's back up for a second because you, uh, both you and Brian mentioned the word salvation. So, what would that have meant in that Greco-Roman world of, say, Caesar and contrast that with how the Bible is using it because it's because it, like you said before, Brian, it's not it's not this individualistic thing. It's it's something else, right? So just help us understand those two and maybe compare and contrast those two uses of the word salvation. Yeah. So uh, when Rome ta- here's the interesting thing: when Rome talks about salvation and when Paul talks about salvation, they actually are talking about the same thing. They're talking about political liberation. They're talking about uh, the defeat of their foes. So, Israel, whenever the language of salvation is used in Israel's scriptures, it's always in a political context. And uh, and Paul means it in a political context as well. And of course he does. He follows Jesus who proclaimed a kingdom, a, a basileia, same word that is used for empire. So, what we have here is a contrast and a conflict between different kingdoms, different political visions. So, the contrast isn't whether it's political or not, or political or individual. Nobody in the first century would have thought the salvation was, was purely individual. The contrast is, who is the Lord of this kingdom? How is this kingdom achieved? Is it achieved by means of the violent defeat of one's enemies? 
or is it achieved by means of the suffering of your king, right? Where, where does the suffering, uh, suffering go? So, uh, this Paul and, and, and Israel and, and, and Rome all will understand salvation to be political. The nature of the kingdom and how the kingdom is achieved is, is, is where, uh, where the radical difference happens. The idea that salvation was for individuals to get their, their conscience right uh, would have been as alien in uh, the empire as it was to Paul himself. So, okay, so we use another, I think, a loaded term here that maybe we want to take a minute to unpack, and that's po- political or politics. So, if we get any feedback on this podcast, probably more often than anything else, it's, hey, I really liked this until you got political. And usually what they mean is some sort of like partisan, it felt like you were taking sides on this political divide that we are experiencing in our in our culture now. So when you use the word politics or political, how, how are you using that in terms of what Romans is, is trying to accomplish? Well, I think maybe perhaps the best way to answer that is to just talk about the whole the whole shape of the biblical narrative. I mean the the whole biblical story is about how how is a kingdom or a people shaped on earth that shows what it's like for the to the whole world what it's like when people actually follow god faithfully what kind of a community is shaped when people are are obedient to god um you know that's what uh, the Torah, the law was about in the Old Testament. You know, what does this community look like? Even even the call of Abraham wasn't a call to an individual. You know, it doesn't say that Abraham was called and God said, um, Abraham, I'm calling you to have a close personal relationship with me. No, <laughs> right. right? I mean— That's a good point. I mean, that's a, that's a point that's lost very quickly. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, the call to yeah. Abraham was, your descendants are are going to be a blessing to the whole of the earth, right? Um, to all the other nations of the world. I mean, Abraham was a, a communal—the beginning of a communal solution or— maybe even salvation, to the problem of sin that had infected uh, all, all peoples on, on the earth. So, throughout the whole Old Testament, um, God was trying to shape this people. Well, shaping a community, shaping a kingdom, um, is what we would call political, right? The shape of a community, how a community comports itself, how it looks after the most vulnerable, how it deals with money, how a community cares for the land or not. (laughs) Um, All of these things fall under the purview of our political life, how we organize ourselves socially. And um, so, when Jesus comes in the New Testament and starts telling people that this is what community looks like. This is how you care for one another. This is who is who is welcomed into the community. Um, this is how you handle money in the community. How th- this is how you ensure that nobody has too much money in the community. I mean, these are all things Jesus talked about. That's that's all very political. If you look at the pages of our newspapers, those are the kinds of things we're talking about when we talk about politics, right? Mm -hmm. Especially now in the U.S., you know, who are we welcoming in? Or not? <laughs> How are we right. handling money? Or not? Are we caring? Hey, there'll for be the no land? criticism of the American political system oh. on this podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
<laughs> I'm ki- I'm kidding, by the way. Yeah. yeah. So go ahead. Hey, we know the thing is we have to be critical of any political system. I guess that's well, the point, right? No, it's, if you're and ex- that's exactly Jesus. it. I mean, yeah. every country in the world is talking about these issues as part of their political discourse, right? For good or for ill. And so when Paul starts talking about uh, in Romans, um, when he talks about what it is to live faithfully, when he talks in Romans 12 about who they should welcome and who they should eat with and how the community should deal with enemies, all of that's very political language, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's about the shape of the community and how you comport yourselves in a certain political climate that may or may not welcome those particular kinds of ideas. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with that, Their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee is amazing. They offer free plant consultation forever. We got our bushes in, and you can tell I don't know what I'm talking about because I just call them bushes. But we got them in last night. And Fast Growing Trees knows what they're called. Exactly. That's the whole point. It comes with this placard that tells you exactly what to do like you were in fifth grade, which is the exact instruction (laughs) level that I needed. And it was very easy to follow. We loved the process. This spring, they have their best deals online up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code NORMALPEOPLE. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. A calling is a powerful thing. It's a very strong belief that there is something bigger for you. It's about who you are and where you're going in life. You may be in college, you may be halfway through a career, but you want something different. There's a place for you at Union Presbyterian Seminary, where students are prepared for a call to ministry. At Union, you will find a diverse community. You'll find students from different denominations and professors who will listen to you and challenge you. You'll find people who help you find your own path. You'll find a school where financial realities matter. Union offers generous financial aid, And it meets you where you are with three different platforms for learning, residential, online, and hybrid. You'll find a world-class faculty who will invest in you, a community long after you graduate that supports you and equips you for service and for leadership. Safwat Marzuk, who has been on the podcast here on The Bible for All People, is a faculty at Union Presbyterian Seminary and is slated to write one of our upcoming commentaries. It's no secret, if you're a listener to the podcast, how much Pete and I have relied on our seminary education and how much that has shaped our view of the world and all of our work here at the Bible for Normal People. It's your call. Respond with Union Presbyterian Seminary. To learn more, go to upsem.edu or email admissions at upsem.edu. Yeah, because, I mean, as a, if I remember correctly, what may have caused the tensions in the church in Rome is the expulsion of Jews, and then they're coming back. So you've got this mixed group in the epicenter of the universe at the time, and how they treat each other, how they act, will reflect something of the nature of the true kingdom. Yes, exactly. So, okay. so uh, one of the ways that we could read Romans is uh, that that Romans 
But Paul, start with, Paul's not writing systematic theology. He's writing a letter. He's writing a letter to real people in a real context that happens to be at the very center of the Roman Empire. And he's writing a letter to a community of people who are not functioning very well as community. Uh, they are, in fact, in many ways, mimicking uh, the way in which the empire itself functions. So uh, uh, the, the, there's, there's controversy at, at, at mealtime together. There's controversy about who is in and who is out. There's, there's suspicion. And so what Paul is doing is he's writing into that situation and saying, if you follow Lord Jesus and not Lord Caesar— then that will shape how this community uh, will comport itself and and who it will welcome and how it will engage in its economic life and how it will engage uh, engage uh, its neighbor and indeed how it will engage its enemies. So uh, we, we, we one of my problems over the years reading Romans was it always seemed like there's an argument going on here, that I don't really understand. Mm-hmm. It has to do with Jews and Gentiles, but it's not my argument. It must have been important then, but I don't get it. Right? Mm-hmm. And 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 now if 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 I if I come to Romans and say, what's going on in Romans is that Paul is trying to shape a community. And he's trying to shape a community that could really be appropriately described as home. He's trying to make home at the heart of an empire that renders so many homeless. Mm. Not only are Jews rendered homeless because they are under such suspicion, but we think that the vast majority of the community of followers of Jesus in the various uh, churches, various uh, gatherings in, in the city of Rome— we think that most of those folks were probably marginalized, were economically uh, 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 living at a subsistence level, and were having a hard time at making home together socially, economically, and and spiritually. So what happens if we read Romans through the eyes of homemaking? Uh, I think an interesting kind of take uh, starts to happen, because— what what is what is crucial to home but a story right home is always mm-hmm. a storied place so what if the story the dominant story of your culture is the story of augustus is the story of the empire which renders you homeless but you are invited to follow an alternative lord and therefore be in welcomed into an alternative story that sh- that shapes your your imagination gives you meaning and gives you a sense of connection with other folks who also are living out of that story yeah Hey everyone, this is David Kroeber from Roswell, Georgia, and I'm part of the producers group here at the Bible for Normal People. Two things I've appreciated about this podcast are the affirmation that I'm not alone in wrestling with how to take seriously this wonderfully diverse and sometimes weird sacred book that we have, and the exposure to other voices and the ongoing discussion of what it looks like to be a thoughtful Christian in our culture. If you've gotten something from this free podcast, I want to take a moment to mention how you can support Pete and Jared and their work. This podcast is brought to you by supporters on the Patreon platform. For as little as a dollar a month, you can be part of the group that brings this podcast to normal people everywhere. 
And as a gift for your support, we have book studies, chat groups, and lots of really exciting videos from Pete and Jared. So check it out at patreon.com forward slash the Bible for normal people. If you aren't able to support the show financially, please go to iTunes and rate and review the podcast, which can go a long way to help others find us. One group in particular we want to thank is our producers group, who work hard to tell Pete and Jared where they're messing up and how to do better. Thanks to Joel Herring, Chuck Beam, Joel Thompson, Jacqueline Van Beek, Romilo Morishita, Stephen Goulstone, Joe Johnson, and Aaron Neff. The Bible for Normal People couldn't happen without you. Now, back to the podcast. So, I mean, you're really reading Romans in a social, cultural, historical context, and the societal interactions there are just very important for, I think, for what you're saying, for understanding the book as a whole and what Paul's point is, perhaps. Well, that's right. right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, and those societal interactions are actually at the heart of the book. Um, yeah. You know, we tend to think of Romans as being about uh, righteousness, right? And mm-hmm. uh, But the, the Greek word for righteousness is actually a word, dikaiosune, that is a translation of two words in the Hebrew. And those Hebrew words are the words sedeka, righteousness, and mishpat, justice. And both those words are translated with the one word in the Greek, which means that that word, dikaiosune, has always the overtones of both justice and righteousness. Um, And our Bibles in English just tend to translate that word as righteousness, yeah. Um, if you're if you're reading Romans in in Spanish, say that word is translated justice all the time. So hmm. so it appears then that Romans is actually about justice. If you're reading it in Spanish, so what one of the things that um, we do is whenever we're reading Romans, we try to use the word justice every time the word righteousness occurs, and then suddenly you realize. This is a book about justice and injustice. So, the, mm-hmm. the beginning in chapter 118, which says that, that God's wrath is revealed against all wickedness, is how it's usually translated, but that word is actually injustice. God's mm-hmm. wrath is revealed against injustice. And once you start thinking, wait a minute, then what is that injustice? What did it look like? It looked like violence. Uh, we see later on in Romans 1. It looked like economic violence. It looks like exclusion. In chapter 3, you get language that's completely tied up with the poor and oppressing the poor, because Paul quotes a whole bunch of Psalms, all of which are about oppressing the poor. So, there seems to be something something about economic justice underlying Mm -hmm. what Paul is talking about. And of course, when you get to chapter 12, when Paul starts talking about sharing what you have economically with those in the community and with those outside of the community, when he starts talking about who you eat with in chapter 14 and 15, which is an economic question too, right? Who's welcome to the table or not? You start to see that those wider social and cultural relationships are all to be constituted by righteousness, by justice in the community. Mm-hmm. And that's because God is a God of righteousness or of justice, right? This is a God who practices justice. So, all of that starts to stand out much more strongly uh, when you read the letter, sort of thinking about what the words actually 
mean. Right. Well, and I would imagine too that see righteousness. I would I would contend righteousness is not a bad word to use. The problem is that we've sort of co-opted that in Christian culture to mean sort of an inner disposition or something, when it has to do with with right actions. And and we're dealing with justice at that point, so that there, there's a real intermingling. So, so it's probably good to use the word justice instead of righteousness, only because of how righteousness has come to be understood. Like yeah. um, there's this deep down stain inside of me, and that's all that it means. No, it means how you treat other people outside of the church. It's not a word that's used unless you call somebody self righteous. Right, yes. I and mean, that's not very nice. But outside of the church, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you're trying to explain Christian faith to people who've never heard anything about this, and you start talking about righteousness, nobody knows what the heck you're talking about, right? Um, right. Whereas, yes, uh, justice is, which is a manifestation of that right relationship with other people and with God. Okay. Well, let's actually. This is triggering yeah. something I think is really important because this comes up all the time when I talk to people. Um, righteousness or justice, it's its not just ours, but it's God's, mm-hmm. right? So, God's justice, I mean, maybe if I'm understanding Romans correctly, that seems to be something Paul is trying to defend in Romans. Like, is God just? Is God righteous? Mm-hmm. And explain that. What does, what, what's the issue here? You know, wh- why, why is God's righteousness, why, why does Paul talk, what does he mean by God's righteousness? Let's just leave it at that. What, what does he mean by God's righteousness or justice? Well, one way to translate that, God's righteousness might be God's covenantal faithfulness to set things right. But here's why it's an issue. In the ancient world, the question of whether God, any God, Uh, any of the gods were powerful or were faithful, had to do usually with military victory, right? So, you could say that Zeus or Jupiter was powerful, that Rome was powerful, because those gods were aligned together to defeat their enemies, Right, they were mili- They had military yeah. might and military power. Um, in in the story of Israel, this was a real challenge because when um, the people were taken into exile, the question was: Is God actually powerful anymore? Is God mm-hmm. is God just? Does God have covenantal faithfulness towards us any longer? Yeah, will God do right by his people? Will God so do speak? right by yeah, his people? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so, in the yeah. first century, you have these Jews who have been expelled from Rome. They, they're shamed people. They're in Rome in the first place because they've been captured from their homeland. And the question is, is God still faithful to, the, to them? Is, is God still able to enact justice and righteousness for them? And that puts this big question mark behind God's faithfulness and God's righteousness. And the answer that Romans gives is this paradoxical answer of suffering, Mm. that God is actually faithful in the midst of suffering, that Jesus is righteous and just and faithful by dying for his enemies. This is in, in Romans 5, not in condemning his enemies, but, you know, while we were still sinners— Jesus died for us. While we were enemies, God acted reconciliation for us. So, there's this this paradox that this God is faithful, 
because God has been willing, Jesus has been willing to suffer and die for us. Um, and that's why Paul says in chapter 8, uh, we are more than conquerors in our suffering. Um, he kind of eclipses the whole category of what a conqueror mm-hmm. usually is. So, you you would say that Caesar was just because, well, he's, he's, he's winning, right? <laughs> um, yeah. and, and Paul's saying, no, that's, that's, that's not true at all. That's not the criteria anymore. Uh, for mm-hmm. what, who was just and who was righteous? Does that make sense? Oh yeah, yeah. So you've mentioned uh, you, in that in that section talking about God's justice, the uh, idea of Jesus dying, and you use the word for us. And so, can you say more about how Romans and atonement theories and and what what was the meaning of? of Jesus's death in this context that you're reading it. Oh, At this well. point, I'm just going to let Sylvia keep talking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, Smart move, you know, Brian. that's Smart uh, move. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a huge question atonement theories. Uh I think the way that Romans talks about, it, I mean, Romans doesn't actually Romans doesn't say too much about how atonement happens. Or, or anything, really. I mean, you know, what it says in, in chapter 5 is, you know, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. And much more surely, having been reconciled, we will be saved by His life. You know, and just before that, he says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And the point Paul's making um, isn't so much, you know, how this happened, <laughs> But that the way of reconciliation that God chooses isn't a way of reconciliation that that insists on violence, that insists that enemies have to be punished, and it's not a way of reconciliation that's based in judgment, right? It's based in God's love for us. That's how reconciliation happens in Jesus. And so, you know, Jesus' death on the cross isn't because God was so angry <laughs> that somebody had to die to kind of satisfy God's wrath. That's that's not the point of Romans. I mean, Romans 5 says, but God proves his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, why did, what does atonement mean in Romans? Why did Jesus die in Romans? Because God loved us so much that he was willing mm-hmm. to offer himself up for us. Yeah, and, and how all that works is not super clear. And, 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 and nor does it need to be. Yeah, It seems to me that right. asking the question of atonement of Romans is perhaps asking the wrong question. Because Romans, uh, Paul does, does, doesn't in, in any way really tell us what happens on that on the cross? What, what, is there some sort of transaction that happens there? That's, that's later uh, questions being put to, to Paul. But what's clear in Paul is that love wins. That's what's clear. Mm-hmm. Love wins. And that for love to win requires God to so enter into our condition that God, in fact, will embrace us even though we are enemies as we are doing our worst to God's very son. Mm-hmm. Cross, Cross is, is then, then like ultimate, ultimate anti-empire rhetoric. You bet. Oh, definitely. You know? <laughs> yeah. Be- because, because it's a, it's a symbol of the empire. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's an implement of the empire. 
And and while Paul doesn't use the same kind of language that we see in Colossians, where 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 the the, the cross is the place where where Christ in fact takes captive those who put him on the cross, uh, that the imagery is still there. It, it's really interesting. We, you know, we've called our book Romans Disarmed, and of course, one of the the great weapons of the empire was the cross itself, and it's at the cross that the empire is in fact disarmed. Yeah, talk about paradox. Hey, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, can you, could you can you maybe explain that a little bit more? Because I think that it feels uh, just for our listeners that can feel kind of abstract. Because I think in in what ways is is Rome disarmed there at the cross? Can you say a little a little bit more about you know Pete's statement that the cross is anti imperialistic and it is still a tool of the empire? H- how does that maybe? Can you say a little more about that? How does that work? Well. You know, the, the empire's power lay in, um, in its military might and in its violence, right? That's how it inflicted uh, power and exerted its power and control. Um, if uh, in its um, violent actions, if it's robbed of that power in its violent actions, if instead of um, the its violence defeating its enemies. Um, instead, those enemies are empowered <laughs> to say that, no, they are actually in suffering love going to bear this violence and they're not going to return it. Um, then that, that actually disarms the empire because it loses its control in that. I mean, Paul actually says at one point in Romans 13 um, that, that we ought not to owe anybody anything except love, right? The the empire counts on people fighting back. It counts on inciting violence because then it, it can respond in violence and maintain its control. But if in the face of violence, people are acting out of love and people are instead of Getting on the instead of getting on the the bandwagon wagon of hating the things the empire hates, people are instead acting in love towards those that the empire excludes and to those who are most marginalized. That undermines everything that imperial power is trying to do. And of course, the uh, the linchpin in all of this is the resurrection. That that's mm-hmm. that's the empire uh, does its worst. But love still wins. Resurrection uh, overpowers death. And so then, because Jesus is risen and invites us into that risen life, uh, that is an invitation to to live in this world, uh, embracing this world as new creation, embracing this world as the site of God's justice, embracing this world in a way which is no longer subject to the empire. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know, this, this whole thing is, uh, you might remember U2's album, How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb. Uh, somebody mm-hmm. asked Bono when that album came out, so how do you 
dismantle an atomic bomb. And Bono said, with love. And that's exactly the point <laughs> that we're making uh, in Romans Disarmed. And that, that Paul makes, I think, in, uh, in so, Romans 12. So, so in some ways, the cross and, and then subsequently the resurrection are representations of how to render empiric violence ineffective. That's right. And that is through, uh, through love mm-hmm. um, and through peace, mm-hmm. which for me, the kind of the opposites is I think biblically, the opposite of love is fear, right? So the cross represents trying to induce fear and it induces, uh, it induces violence mm-hmm. and aggression. So you oppose it either through being afraid of it or you oppose it through violence, but mm-hmm. love... Um, and this, the cross and the resurrection sort of paint this new picture and renders those things ineffective. It doesn't have the effect that it was uh, supposed to have mm-hmm. or it often did have. That's right. And I think I'd, I just want to qualify that by, by probably saying suffering love. Because mm-hmm. one, of the, yeah. one of the points that we make about Romans and one of the ways that we read Romans is um, as a letter of lament that... Uh, that Paul is writing to uh, people who are at the bottom of the social ladder in the empire, and their their laments enter into uh, his writing. Um, but also that the lament of God uh, is woven throughout the letter. So I'm, you know, when we were talking earlier about about the cross and what happens on the cross, <laughs> that. It's kind of the culmination of the whole story, the whole biblical story of the God of the Old Testament who is lamenting over Israel and lamenting over Israel's sin and lamenting over Israel's unfaithfulness. I mean, the Godward side of judgment is always grief and lament, right? And 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 the prophets embody that and so when Paul is saying in, in Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is unveiled, he's not saying that as, isn't this great? He's saying, and here again, here again in sorrow, this is how God is responding to what's going on. Um, Romans Romans 9 to 11, of course, has that the most deeply where there's this lament over over Israel and you had creation lamenting in Romans chapter 8 so throughout this letter there's this language of lament and then that call to love is a call to identify with the laments of those who cry out who groan in Romans 8 right mm-hmm. we're called we're called to a suffering love that joins in with the lament of those who are crying out for the kingdom to come and crying yeah. out for the resurrection. Uh, and tell me what you think of this, because something that just popped into my head here is the, you know, a love that is a suffering love. And it's also a – I'm thinking of the honor-shame dynamic in the first century. It's also a humiliating love. It's it's the taking on of humiliation which is the opposite of the power dynamic of first century life, political life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Paul, Paul turns uh, the shame-honor dynamic on its head. Which is why, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's yeah. the power of God for salvation. I used to think that meant you have to witness to your friends on the lunch line or something. But it, it's, it's, he's not saying I'm not afraid to talk about it. He's saying I'm not ashamed. Well, why, why would you be ashamed? Well, mm-hmm. look at it. 
look how this religion, so to speak, starts. It starts with God participating somehow in the grand act of humiliation on the part of the people in power. That's right. So Paul, Paul is saying there uh, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel uh, and uh, because I will not play by the, by the rules that the empire has around shame. Uh, in, mm-hmm. in fact, I, I will stand with those who are the most shamed by the empire, you know? And when I think about not being ashamed of the gospel, it's actually pretty hard these days <laughs> because uh, <laughs> I, I look at the way in which the gospel has, uh, has been used to embrace uh, white supremacy and nationalism and, and uh, the move towards fascism in the highest office of the United States. And, and, and 80% of, of American even evangel- white evangelicals supporting this, then it, it's really hard to be ashamed. It's hard not to be ashamed. But, but you then have to struggle and say, uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm ashamed of the way in which it has been distorted. I'm ashamed of the way in which it's been used as, as a weapon. Uh, I, I'm, I'm ashamed of, of the way in which it's been co-opted. Uh, and so, so that's yeah, kind by of, empire. By empire, absolutely. Yeah, exactly right, which is, which is the very different reason why Paul said, I'm not ashamed. That's right. That's <laughs> exactly. right. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, at some point, somebody's going to ask, uh, you know, if you talk about Romans and you talk about politics, well, gee, what about Romans 13, you know? Yeah, what about Romans yeah. 13? Go ahead. Well, Get out of this one, guys. Um, Come on. Just one of the first things I want to say <laughs> is, is some years ago, I, I preached a sermon which was called To Hell with Romans 13, and, <laughs> and by which I didn't mean to hell with what Paul is saying, but to hell with the way in which Romans 13 has been used to legitimate all kinds of, of evil and, and, and co-opting uh, by empire, you know. Uh, so, so Romans 13 needs to be read, um, oddly enough, within the context of Romans, <laughs> You know how how, how, figure. how could how could it be that Paul, after presenting in Romans twelve a rich uh, vision and charter for what an alternative community looks like, radically alternative to the empire, would then say, "Oh, and but by the way, just keep on obeying the authorities." No, I think that what Paul is saying there is um, these guys aren't aren't kidding, and you better be careful. You know, watch your back around the state. And we could do the whole exegesis, but what I find really interesting is to come back to that theme of love, where Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled law. Our our Bibles Hmm. will say the law. There's no definite article there. It's fulfilled law. Law, if it's to be just law, and law should always be just law, has to be law that reflects love. And that means, I think, that if we come upon law and legislation and policies and political forces that are engaging in acts that are the opposite of love, then Romans 13 calls us to a radical civil disobedience to that kind of law, because that's not the fulfillment. Love is only the fulfillment is is the fulfillment of law, and any law that cannot match and cannot be be stand before the bar of love must be disobeyed. Hmm. 
Well, that's a, it seems like a wonderful place to end our times. Unfortunately, we're coming to the end of our time, but I think it's a good practical note to end on. But is there anything that uh, you would point people to? Um, of course, you have your book, uh, Romans Disarmed, and we'll, we'll talk about that as we, uh, Pete and I record the outro. But is there anything else, projects, organizations, other things that you're involved in that you would want to mention? Well, I, I'd want to mention two. Uh, one is that the book, uh, Romans Disarmed, is dedicated to a community in Toronto called Sanctuary. Uh, the book begins at, uh, in, in a sorrowful moment at Sanctuary. Sanctuary is a community amongst uh, the most dispossessed, especially uh, Indigenous folks in downtown Toronto. And we are very close to that community. And if folks are ever in Toronto, you want to check out Sanctuary. Uh, the other thing I want to refer folks to is um, we have a website called Empire Remix that we've been running for many years. And on Empire Remix, we have actually a page for Romans Disarmed. And uh, hopefully within the next couple of weeks, we'll have a study guide that will be posted at Empire Remixed uh, for our book. Oh, that's great. Practical stuff for a practical message. That's right. Yeah. Well, listen, Sylvia and Brian, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was really stimulating, and I learned some stuff that that's for sure about Romans and thinking about it differently. Appreciate it very much. Our pleasure. Good talking to you. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone, to this episode of The Bible for Normal People, and be sure to pick up a copy of Romans Disarmed by Sylvia Kiesma and Brian Walsh. Put up by the good people at Brazos Press, a division of Baker Publishing Group, which I've published a book or two with. Good people. Yes, and once you go into that, people have now tuned out and are snoozing. <laughs> But if you haven't, if you're still with us, if you're still with us, we would really encourage you to just check out patreon.com front slash the Bible for normal people. That's where we really have gathered a community of people around the Bible for normal people, just discussions about the Bible, about faith, about any number of things. I'm sure you could talk about whatever you want and you probably get someone to respond mm-hmm. to you, but it really does center around all of our questions about faith, doubt, the Bible, how does it all fit? How does it all work? So just go to patreon.com front slash the Bible for normal people and for as little as a dollar a month. You can join there, watch videos, be on Slack, all kinds of other things. So go check it out. We hope to see you there. Thanks, folks. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.